You're listening to the Game on Glio podcast with Shannon Traphagen. Welcome to Game on Glio, the podcast providing hope, inspiration, education, and real conversations around the difficult journeys of being diagnosed with brain cancer, including glioblastoma. I'm your host, Shannon Traphagen. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Game on Glio Podcast or visit our website, The Game on Glio Podcast, for insights and guest snapshots. If you enjoy our show, please consider writing a review. Also, share us with a friend. This podcast is in partnership with Brains for the Cure. Learn more at brainsforthecure.org. Storms are a metaphor for life. They roll through, sometimes blow through. They last for a little while, and then they're gone. Storms happen no matter what state you live in, no matter where you are in the country, no matter where you are in the world. It's mother nature. It's weather. It's unpredictable. It happens all the time. It's part of the nature of the course of this world. Sometimes storms roll through, and they pass through extremely quickly, leaving very little damage in their wake. They dump a lot of rain, or snow, or some wind. But when they leave, they've nourished the ground, the flowers, the trees around them. You would almost never know that they were here. And then there are times when the storms roll through, and they leave a lot of damage in their wake. Limbs are down, roofs are damaged, flowers may be destroyed, and all you can do is stand, look out the window, and wait for the storm to pass before you can go out and fix the damage that was done. It's the same thing with life. There are trials of life. Sometimes they're quick, painless, just a bit of a wake-up call that maybe we need to change things, change our routine or our habits. And sometimes the trials are severe. They leave damage in their wake. And all we can do is walk through the trials and wait to see if we can get to the other side, when we can get to the other side, how we can get to the other side. But as we do pass through them, they're a reminder of the beauty, the hardship, the rarity of this life. Just like storms, they show us things we didn't see before. And we are stronger and more grateful because of them. On today's episode, my guest, Matthew Anthony, is the founder and president of Head for the Cure Foundation, Brains for the Cure. He knows all too well the trials and the struggles and the storms of this life. He'll share his story with us on why and how he started the foundation and where he is in his journey today. After a quick message from our supporting sponsor for today's episode, Novacure. Novacure is pleased to sponsor the Game on Glio podcast. At Novacure, we strive to extend survival in some of the most aggressive forms of cancer through the development and commercialization of our innovative therapy called Tumor Treating Fields. Novacure partners with the Head for the Cure Foundation and with Brains for the Cure as we work together on behalf of all people impacted by GBM. Thank you so much for joining us. We are back and we are joined with Matt Anthony the founder and president of Head for the Cure Foundation. Matt, thank you so much for being here with us today. Oh my gosh, Shannon, it's such an honor to talk to you about such a such an important subject. It's extremely important. And for those who are listening, Head for the Cure has a branch, Brains for the Cure, which is the partner of our podcast. And we will get into Brains for the Cure in a little bit. But Matt, why don't we start with telling us a little bit about how Head for the Cure got started. How did it begin? Like so many, including yourself, Shannon. And first, I, I want to say I'm so sorry for your loss. And I honored that you are directing such positivity 
to this community through Mike's loss. And it's, uh, it's so admirable and, and honorable. And uh, while we both belong to a club, we didn't, uh, we didn't intend to. It's an honor to know you. So Thank you uh, so much for that. So Hip of the Cure, similarly, my, my brother, my younger brother, seven years younger, was diagnosed with a glioblastoma in late 2000. And he was young. He was 34, very active. He was a runner, a bike rider, an athlete, a worker, a father, worked for me, worked with me. And this came out of nowhere, like uh, so many, this diagnosis. And he lived really an extraordinary life for, the, for a little more than two years, um, uh, continued to work, continued to raise his family, continued to do the things that were important to him and to others. Uh, among them was exercising. And, and uh, among them also during his diagnosis was to help others who were facing a similar challenge uh, with brain tumor. Mm-hmm. And so about a month before he died, he and I were on a bike ride and we discussed the future. And he discussed the future often with his wife, Kirsten, my sister-in-law. And part of that future was helping others. One simple way was, hey, what if we did a 5K to raise some awareness, maybe raise a little money for this disease that was little known and certainly under-researched? And, and so uh, he passed, and, and we honored that promise, his wife, Kirsten, my family, and I, Chris, worked for my, my firm, VML, and, and we just put everybody behind it and had an event in October of 03 and raised about $20,000, had 300 people and thought we crushed it. So, <laughs> so it was some years later, we, we decided, you know, let's do that the next year and then the next year. About five years into it, we, we had some, some real energy. It raised about a half a million dollars and the funds were being directed uh, at the time to the Chris Anthony Brain Tumor Research Fund at MD Anderson, where Chris was treated. And my partner was uh, Mark Gilbert, who was Chris's doctor and the head of neuro-oncology at MD Anderson. And and he and I got together in 07 and uh, hatched the idea of the Brain Tumor Trials Collaborative that would be funded by Head for the Cure. So we officially established a 501c3 for Head for the Cure at that point and began to fund this multi-center a research organization called the BTTC. And that was sort of the impetus for growth that has carried us forward now over the past several years. Wow. So that is really the brainchild of how Head for the Cure Foundation got its legs. It is. It is. And, you know, like so many things, you try to direct energy, you know, you, you find positive energy from difficulty and tragedy. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult, as, as no one knows that better than you, Shannon. We're here talking today for that very reason, because of your positive energy. And, and I think that energy sort of begets new energy, and it renews others. And, and that's the essence of what Head for the Cure is about. And, and we find new paths, and, and those new paths connect us to new people. Those people connect us to new opportunities. And that's sort of the sort of community orientation uh, that is the central truth of Head for the Cure, to help people help others. I couldn't agree more. And it truly is. It's foundations like yours that give us the backbone and the resources and the community that we need to navigate such a tremendously difficult disease like brain cancer. It is unlike any other, unfortunately. It, it, it really is. You used a powerful word and one that you and I have gotten to know each other a little bit, the, the, this notion of community. And, and that is really what it takes, you know, that, that uh, uh, people rely on other people to bring them energy and, and help them through the most difficult times. And, uh, you know, that, that you're so right. Uh, brain cancer is such a strange and difficult disease. It, it, uh, and all cancers are difficult, of course, and all diseases are difficult. And, and one is not more difficult than another, but I would say that brain cancer is, is, is certainly unique and, and, and the people that endure it and the people that support the people that endure it, uh, have an amazing courage and grace. And, and I've, Mm -hmm. I've, you know, learned that so profoundly and I heard it said, and, and I, I think, you know, Dr. Bookvar, who was on an earlier episode and 
kind of a hero of mine uh, <laughs> for his humanity and his accessibility and his honesty and in, in helping this community. But, you know, the fact that, you know, the brain is the central driver of everything, our mobility, our speech, our thoughts, our memories, our, our path forward. It, it, everything that controls our, our living resides there. Mm-hmm. And when faced with cancer in the brain, everything is challenged. And, and so it, it, it really creates, you know, difficulty, but also an intimacy in an interesting way. And don't you think, Shannon, I mean, from your experiences, would, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think it's interesting that you say it that way, because I never really thought about it as far as the intimacy, but there really is such yeah. an intimacy with the the type of work you do with the oncologists and the neurosurgeons oh and any holistic practitioners and the resources you connect to. There is just a different level of... Mm closeness and bond that seems to be shared. And I think it's difficult because the brain is one of those organs that doesn't and can't regenerate like other organs can. It can't really rebound. And it's also so hard to get to. And it affects, like you said, every other aspect of our bodies. So it tends to be this domino effect, and that makes it more challenging for those who are in the field. They really are. And then, of course, GBM, which the blastoma multiform, which is such a complex disease that is is unrelenting. And mm-hmm. while there's great progress in the, oh my gosh, it's hard to believe it, nearly two decades that I've been involved in connecting with patients and connecting with the medical field, Certainly, there's been dramatic progress, but that progress is incremental. Mm-hmm. As we know, this is a disease that has not been cured. And while lifespans are extending, the progress is incremental. And yet, these doctors who we connect with every day feel like they're on an evolutionary path towards solving the problem. Uh, and one day, there will be a revolution. But you know that one day has been elusive to solve the ultimate problem, but yet we continue to work so intently, you know, that people such as you and I, you know, who are lay people, you know, mm-hmm. not trained scientists or medical professionals, but work closely with the docs and the, and the investigators and the scientists and the nurses and the social workers and other and caregivers to provide, I, I guess, a, a source of, of energy. And I think that's, a, a, you know, that energy circles back. but. But I feel like we, we are progressing. And then along the way, and Game on Glio is an example of helping people endure this and navigate toward a path that makes their life full right. throughout their life, regardless of the lifespan that is, is awarded each of us. You know, we, we want to help them navigate and bring them hope and joy along the way. Yep. Exactly. I'm curious, you touched a little bit on how quickly this happened to your brother, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. Was he having any symptoms? I mean, so this is 19 years ago. This is back before some of the treatments we even have now um, are available. Was there anything that even after the fact you look back on, you're like, you know what, I bet you that was a symptom? Because I know I've done that with Mike where I look back and I'm like, mm, you know what, that was a symptom and I never even realized it. That is, it's a great question and one I have reflected on often. He did have a couple of episodes that we later determined were seizures and a more aggressive seizure happened just a couple of days before he ultimately went in. And, and I'll tell you, so I mentioned that he worked for my firm mm-hmm. and worked for me really. I was the CEO of the company and we worked really hard to make sure that he wasn't given any special treatment that he didn't. So we worked harder than anybody. So, <laughs> so we would tease each other about that. And we were in a kind of a management meeting and, and it was a Thursday and he was not feeling well. And he said, you know, Matt, I, I got to wrap it up here. I, I'm just not well at all. I need to go back to the hotel. And I looked at him kind of teasingly, but kind of seriously, I'll admit this. I said, what are you talking about, man? Are, are you, are you calling a sick day? there are no sick days here. And he gutted it out for another hour or so. And he finally said, no, I got to go back. And he did the next day he flew back, he was done and he flew back to Dallas and 
That was a Friday. Sunday, he went into the ER after that seizure. And Tuesday, he had surgery to remove what was what we learned was a glioblastoma. You know, it's interesting, though. Chris went in on a Sunday. My husband went in on a Sunday. Our guest that we just had in July, her husband went in on a Sunday. A woman I spoke to in Australia, her husband had gone in on a Sunday. I don't know what that is, but that's you are the, the fourth one. That's also been interesting is how this has a way of bringing people together of all ethnicities and race and, and religions. And I find that sort of really a point of connection. And so when we say things like, the, you know, you find the coincidences and, you know, you find another source of connection and that, uh, that brings people together too. Right. And it's definitely something, especially in this day and age, that we need so much is that connectedness. Um, oh my gosh, don't Feeling me. of connection, especially given the journey that so many of us are walking yes. with individuals with brain cancer, but outside of that, globally, given everything else that's going on, yeah, yeah. that feeling of connection and tethering ourselves to somebody else that might even be able to slightly relate in any small way is so important and so vital right now. It really is. I think that that's another value in what this conversation, hopefully people will listen and and maybe find something that they can connect to. And I, I know you're right. All of the the intensity, the tension that we're all living with right now, just in, in our everyday lives, driven partly by the pandemic and all the other mm-hmm. oddness that creates divisiveness in, in our world and our country. And I, I think that uh, we've used the word connection a lot here. And, and you and I are connected now. And you know, this, <laughs> we're connected through this, this unwanted and unexpected uh, encounter with brain cancer but yet you know and, and uh, but we are connected because the the there's there's always you know a sense of uh maybe it's it's uncertainty or tension until you ultimately find the connection and i, I know that's true with a patient who is uncertain what their path is they want to find the right doctor that they truly connect with so that their anxiety that's a better word than tension so their, their anxiety can be released yes and, you know, people like Dr. Bookfar and Dr. Gilbert, who runs the NIH and BTTC, mm-hmm. they have this unbelievable ability to connect with their patients. And because they do, it releases the anxiety in, in, in people to the point where they can plow ahead and find the best path to live the best life and find the best direction to hope. And I think that's the best thing we can all hope for is hope. I'm I'm glad you touched on that because that is extremely important for patients, for caregivers, for those advocating for somebody who has brain cancer, is finding that right person, the right oncologist, the right neurosurgeon, and making sure that they are giving you that hope and that strength, no matter where the path is going to lead you. You have to have those. You have to have hope. You have to have strength. You have to be able to say, my anxiety feels less because I feel safe yeah. in the current course that I am on with this particular team. And I've talked about that before, the importance of advocating for yourself Oh yes. and, and making sure that they're the right fit for you. It's not the other way around. That's absolutely right. And, and you know, you... We're the caregiver and the partner, the quarterback, you know. That. Yeah. <laughs> Can I ask you a question? Did, did Do you feel like, you know, the role of the caregiver and, you know, the shared decision and the shared truth with the doctor, with the neuro-oncologist, with, with doctors, neurosurgeons, how important do, do you feel the caregiver is in this whole journey? That's a good question. I, you know, I think it depends on each individual family. Sure. I f- sometimes feel that as far as the spouse goes, there's some families that I've met where the spouse did not want the role of caregiver alone and the patient of the spouse, um, the person who is diagnosed, mm-hmm. wanted more people, more more hands-on. And there are other circumstances where that individual was the lone caregiver. They were right. They were the quarterback. They were it for that person. And 
that is the circumstance that Mike and I were in. We had a ton of support with family and siblings and parents and in-laws, but we were it. And as far as Mike was concerned, he didn't want anybody else making decisions for him except for him and I. And he was really adamant about that. He wanted to speak for himself. And he's like, you're my partner. You're my spouse. You know me better than anybody. I don't want anyone else speaking for me except for you and making sure that I have a voice as well. And that was important to both of us, making sure that he was heard. And for me, that was the biggest thing. He needs to be heard. And when he struggled, I stepped in, but it was on his behalf and it never strayed away from that. That's, that's a, that's a huge burden for you. It is. And for Mike, actually. No, and, and I, I mean, people, oh my gosh, it is an unbelievable burden, but I'm sure you wouldn't have wanted it any other way as you reflect back on it. Not at all. You were able to make the right decisions for Mike and for you. And of course you second guess everything, you know, when you think back and you say, should I, should I have done this? And, you know, oh, I, maybe I should have done that, or should we ha- have had that conversation? And, you know, it's hard not to think that way, but there was nobody else that was going to fight for him more than me. And you're still fighting for him. hundred percent. And I'm still fighting for him. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's amazing. And I know you will never stop fighting for him and no. I'm kind of in the same place, you know, it's uh, and it is fatiguing, isn't it? You know, that there's, there's these bursts of energy and then there's the absolute exhaustion that mm-hmm. happens along the way and it's still happening you know, to, to, to find energy. And, and, uh, I have found that, and it's true with head for the cure, uh, especially that it, it's been really the, the support of now, gosh, thousands of people and expanding our events around the country that help me through the fatigue and help our team through mm. the fatigue and help others who have lost people to keep their legacies alive and help others that are in the battle to drive towards hope. It, it's just uh, uh, because individuals, we get tired. Yes. I mean, it's human nature. The energy has to come from somewhere. It does. <laughs> it does. It reminds me, oh my gosh, I was, I was, I go to most of our events. I MC a lot of them. We head for the cure, our platform for fundraising, which drives our brains for the cure program is our, our 5k events. And, and we do these now in 28 cities around the country. And, and I try to go to most of them. And when I'm there, I MC it. I host it. It's great fun to do that. And I was coming back from Dallas a few years ago and exhausted. And, and I, I was a little discouraged uh, because we'd had some, some folks from the year before who were energetic survivors who didn't make it for over the next year. And, oh. and uh, it just was – I was encouraged about some things and discouraged. And I ran into – a patient who was wearing a Head for the Cure t-shirt at the airport. And she wasn't at the Dallas event. And she came up to me and she recognized me and she thanked me for finding the energy to continue to support Head for the Cure. And I thanked her for being the inspiration to keep us keep us going. And it just, I mean, those are the things that... That, that was the boost that you needed. And I, I know you must feel Mike kicking you in the butt sometimes to, <laughs> to when you're like, Oh my gosh, I don't know if I have the energy to do the pod this week. <laughs> there are those moments you do. You have those moments. And to be quite frank, I mean, I'm still in the thick of his loss. And so there are definitely those moments, but I also feel so inspired. I mean, when I talk to his parents who have been absolutely amazing, they call me every week <laughs> And I speak to them and, and they're so happy that I'm doing the podcast and, and honoring him and finding a way to keep his legacy and his memory and his name alive. And, you know, my family is the same way and they're so supportive of the work that I'm doing. And then when I hear from people from other countries oh, yeah. that hear the podcast and reach out and they're like, you know, I, I lost my spouse or I, I lost my loved one to this. And I stumbled across this podcast and it touched me so deeply. And even um, a friend of mine who is uh, was a young widow and lost his wife 10 years ago mm-hmm. to breast cancer, he's been listening to the podcast and oh, has great. said that it helps him as a young widow, even though he's 10 years into the journey, that sure. he'll go back and he'll listen. And he'll be like, some of the things you say still help me. They're helping me. And so... It's, it is, it's, 
it's those moments of boost. And, you know, you said something about where Head for the Cure is and where where it has come and, and some of the events you've gone to. Sure. Since its inception, looking to see how big the foundation has gotten and how much it's grown and how it's how many people it reaches and how global it is now. How does that make you feel? You know, I'm I'm uh, I'm really happy that so many people find it a source of of inspiration for sure. I, I didn't expect it. I don't think any of us did. But I I'm proud of the fact that we've made an impact in people's lives. You know, you always feel like, gee, could we go faster and do more? <laughs> you know, that that's uh, of course <laughs> that's the, the competitive energy that, that that keeps us going. But I I know it will keep going, and that's uh, and I, and I think back on on how my brother Chris and, and one one moment he and I were chatting, and and uh, he said, you know, if uh, he, he was he was interesting, he didn't wear his cancer his brain cancer as a badge of honor. He didn't like you know some people really like to talk about it, other people like to keep it to themselves. Chris was more if if somebody knew what he was facing and they wanted to talk to him, he would eagerly and enthusiastically share anything he could, especially to another patient. Hmm. And toward the end of his life, he knew that, that that was coming. He asked me if I would help him help others. And, oh my gosh, you know, that was the, the easiest promise to make. And, and it's been one that I've been rewarded to fulfill. Well, I can only imagine Chris is looking down on you and just beaming at the success. I think if the tables were turned, he'd be doing the same thing. That's for sure. You know, Chris would be the first to say that he is happy that Head of the Cure is helping others. And I think, you know, his presence still animates what we do, but it's about thousands of others. Yeah. He would be the first to point to that. It's also very, you know, very rewarding. And I am proud of what we've done and, and we've got a great team and you know, mostly volunteers, you know, thousands of volunteers that have helped us over the years to get to this point. And, and the other thing I would say is we really are a grassroots organization. Shannon, I'm going to go to back to that community word. You know, it's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, some events will have 200 people and others will have 4,000, 5,000. And no one is more important than the other. <laughs> that That's, uh, it, it's big or small, you know, those communities of people need the support of others in the community. And, and that's kind of the, that's the essence point of what Head for the Cure is about. So let's share with our listeners what the current mission is for Head for the Cure. So so Head for the Cure, we have a, a mission statement that is very simple and very specific, and that is to defeat brain cancer step by step. And each word is powerful. You know that defeating brain cancer, of course, is our ultimate ambition. But we realize that it's a long journey. And the progress is going to happen in increment, in steps step by step. And, and it's, it's interesting also, and, and uh, no accident that we found run walks, you know, that these five K's be the, the platform to drive that step by step journey. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's, it's active voice, it's active participation. It, it's a, it is a celebration. It is a party, but you know, we've got to keep moving. And I think that's true in all aspects of life. And those of us that, that are asked to carry forward something for someone else that's passed, it's our responsibility to move that forward step by step. So, so that's, that's what we're about. And we deliver that through a, a pretty focused set of strategic pillars. One, we want to raise awareness of people that are fighting this and that brain cancer needs support. Uh, two, we want to raise funds to ultimately accelerate research and development for brain tumor treatments. And three, and this is probably, they're all equal, but I, I find this maybe the most important, and that is to inspire hope to the community of people, their caregivers, and those carrying the legacy. So it's it's awareness, it's fundraising, and it's hope. And I should say we sort of discovered that a parallel to hope is joy, you know, that which is why we, we make these, you know, these events are so important. They're parties, you know. You want to create joyful experiences for people. When you do, then hope is right there as its henchman. And for some of these people, it's renewed. It renews their hope when they're able to get involved in these events. They really, they really are. I love it when people say, you know, they have to cure 5K in whatever city is the is their favorite day of the year. Uh, it is for me. That's great. Yeah. 
And so now with Head for the Cure, yeah. there is an arm of that called Brains for the Cure. Yes. And that is the partner for the podcast. And I'm so blessed and grateful um, to have met all of you. Tell us a little bit about Brains for the Cure. What separates that from Head for the Cure? And what does that do for the community? Thank you for asking, Shannon. And I'm so glad that we're able to, to provide a vehicle for Game Like Leo and a, a sponsorship track. And we want people to go visit Brains for the Cure, obviously. Here's the distinction. So, so the best way I can say, so Brains for the Cure exists within the Head for the Cure Foundation mm-hmm. as really our educational arm. When we first established Head for the Cure, our goal was to raise funds that would be directed toward research, ultimately to solve this problem. And we realized along the way that part of treatment is living with with a brain tour to help people navigate their best path hmm. and create peer-to-peer connection and advocacy and educational resources. And those are the essence points of Brain for the Cure. So where Head for the Cure exists to accelerate research and development, Brains for the Cure exists to empower patients and caregivers through this peer-to-peer connection, advocacy, and, and education. To distill all that down, Head for the Cure is going to solve the problem tomorrow Brains for the Cure is helping patients today. I love that. Simple. <laughs> yeah, really simple. And, 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 you know, we need to be conscious of both things. What are we doing today so that we can help people tomorrow? And so we're really excited that we've found this, these uh, points of connection again within our, our small but mighty organization <laughs> to help, help people both today and, and tomorrow. And it's, it's really been Fantastic. And Brains for the Cure delivers that educational connection and advocacy through brainsforthecure.org, which is really an online environment mm-hmm. and hundreds of videos from patients and doctors that answers just about any question you might have and helps guide people. You mentioned, Shannon, that being your own advocate and finding the right doctor in, in your community or, you know, all of that's available on, on Brains for the Cure. And And that's important for people to know because it can be daunting looking at a million websites and a million pieces of information online. How do I find the the truth that's right for me? Exactly. That's uh, so brain speaker, we think an unmatched vehicle to help guide people that way. There are others, of course, but it really distills into, into that, that, uh, that, that real focus. So, since starting this journey and since your brother's passing, what have you learned from all of this? What has this taught you? That is such a big question. I realized that we need to do things that matter and we need to, to share truths with people. And, and I think the other thing I've learned is that the medical community, I used to be a little bit intimidated by them. You know, these are the smartest people in the world. And then, you know, brain docs, you know, they're the smartest of the smart. <laughs> and I've learned that they need, you and I, Shannon, they need Head for the Cure and Brains for the Cure to connect patients to people that connect to them. And they, we need philanthropy. Mm-hmm. We need awareness. We need information. We need human interest. We need stories like the ones we're telling today. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, nobody nobody does it alone, and and it's sort of this circle of support that Head for the Cure provides, that Game Glio provides, that Brains for the Cure provides, that the doctors at Lenox Hill and MD Anderson and Mayo Clinic and uh, University of Kansas and and Columbia Presbyterian, all those doctors rely on the work we do, so that we can rely on the work they do, and that's that's really important that you say that um, because everybody's got a skill you know everybody is meant to be doing something different and the doctors have their focus they have their goal and each of us comes to the table with something different and something unique and I think what you said about we cannot do it alone that strikes a chord with me because that was always one of Mike's mottos for work for home for success we can strive for success. We can strive to meet our dreams and to achieve our goals, but we can never do it alone. And he used to say it all the time. I, I feel pretty connected to Mike. I didn't know him, but I know him through you. And that's a powerful uh, 
sentiment that I share that it is so true. And I also think that working together is always better than working alone. You, you have much better, much better outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I also like to say, Shannon, that we often ask others when someone in our life, someone close, a family member, a coworker faces something unexpected, a tragedy, a serious disease like brain cancer or something else, we often will ask the question of them, what can I do to help? And, you know, that's a well-meaning question. Absolutely. And we want to know what we can do to help. But when you do that, you kind of put the burden right back on the person who's already carrying the burden. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Instead, you know, what we can do to help is, is just to show up. And whatever that means, you know, to, to listen to them when they're hurting, to, to bring over a chicken tetrazzini, you know. Yep. It's that simple. You know, I mean, it, whatever it is, or to listen to, to, to the podcast and find something meaningful. Mm-hmm. But you know, showing up is really the best gift you can give to people. Yep, I agree. So now you have a family of your own, correct? Yeah, yes. And you have children? I have children, yes. So three three grown children. They're uh, my, my daughter, Haley, who lives in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. and she's active uh, in Head for the Cure, Brains for the Cure, in fact, uh, has built our, our environment, quite talented. Very talented. <laughs> I have met her. <laughs> she does it out of love for her uncle, and she's helped me with Head for the Cure almost since the beginning. Um, uh, my daughter, Mary, who just moved back to Kansas City from New Orleans, lived in New York, and now back, her husband starts uh, emergency medicine residency as a new doctor. And uh, Mary's also in marketing. And then my son, Stephen, is in Kansas City. All uh, are married. He's a CPA and uh, also does some support work for Head for the Cure. So and my wife, Anne, of course, uh, we've been married a long time, more than three decades. So Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. That, and, and so, you know, obviously in the extended family, my, my siblings and my parents are still active and, and head to the year. You know, it's interesting. My mom, who's now 86, so she lost her youngest son to brain cancer, Chris. Mm-hmm. And she is, is, is active in our Kansas City event and never misses and raises money to the extent she can. She helps drive Team Chris Anthony. And every week she asks me, so what are you doing this week with Head to the Year? What are you doing? And, and she's, she, she really only wants to know, is there a cure yet? Are you closer to a cure? Aww. You know, she says, gosh, I, I love what Head for the Cure does. I love what you're doing. I love what everybody associated with it does. But I wish you didn't have to do it. I wish Chris was still here. Absolutely. I, I can hear my mom saying that. I can hear my mother-in-law saying that. I can hear our, our, his siblings, my siblings I don't blame her for saying that. I, I, I know. It's the same thing, the feeling that you and I have and so many of your guests, that is the central truth. But yet they also acknowledge that what we're doing serves to the legacy of Mike and Chris and many others who, who have succumbed uh, so that others in the future will have, will have better outcomes. And that's the hope. And, and, Unfortunately, I think this had to happen to people like you and I so that we would be the ones to do the kind of work that we are doing for people in the future. And I'm honored. Um, I, I think you're right. And I know that you will keep doing it. Yes. And I know that I will keep doing it. And when we find that fatigue setting in, we can rely on each other to say, I'll help you. Absolutely. You can rely on me to say that to you, Shannon, and I, I, know the, I know the opposite is true also. Oh, absolutely, 100%. And that actually leads to the, the question, the thought I had next was, given the enormity of the work that we both do and the topics that we take on, how do you decompress? How do you de-stress? Because it is a very heavy topic to be entrenched in. That is such a great question. And I, I do find that there are moments when the discouragement is pretty high. I think, you know, why didn't more people come to that event? Or why aren't we going faster? Dr. Gilbert, I thought this trial had more promise. So now those points of discouragement are quickly outpaced by encouragement by seeing progress and and I mean people's support. But for me personally, I feel that. I like to do things that are unrelated to Head for the Cure. I still do some consulting to, to keep me busy, to help balance. I know you do as well. I, I also 
try to keep fit myself as best I can. As the years mount on, I'm a big cyclist. So uh, my wife and I both ride. We're in Colorado uh, this week. So I'm recording this from Breckenridge. And we just did a, just rode Vail Pass yesterday. So did a 40 mile up, uh, climbed about 2000 feet. So uh, wow. pretty, pretty energized after that ride yesterday in altitude. So that's quite a feat. Well, it was challenging, but within our range, I'll say that. I love it. I just love the peacefulness of of nature and and you know ambient sounds and you know the beauty of the mountains especially is just like like nothing else. That's terrific. What is your hope for the future for Head for the Care? Oh gosh, you know, I know that we will keep this thing going. I know that we will help new people every year who are facing this diagnosis. I know we will help the families of people who have lost loved ones to brain cancer. So my hope is to keep doing what we're doing. You know, it, it's really interesting. And I, I think, again, Dr. Bookfar was uh, an earlier guest on Game Like Leo. And, and he asked me that question. And he said, Matt, you know, the obvious thing is to say a cure within X number of years. And of course, we all hope that, but it's got to be more than that. I think it is. It's to keep making a difference in the lives of people that are facing brain tumors and brain cancer Mm -hmm. so that they feel like there are people helping them. It's kind of that simple. And I do know that, that we have the tools through brains for the cure and we have the network through the brain tumor trials collaborative, the top docs in the country who are working every day to move toward extending life and ultimately finding a cure that will happen. So I, I, I guess that's my ultimate hope. But really along the way, it's just to keep helping people every day to give them hope and to be a little bit of, of uh, to provide a little bit of joy along the way. I love that. And to drive the conversation forward. I think I would add that in there, you know, to keep this conversation top of mind for those who are fighting. That, yes, 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 yes. That is, and I would encourage people who are listening, who are just facing, you know, maybe new facing this diagnosis, um, as well as those who have lost someone like you and I, Shannon, and you most recently with, with your partner, Mike, that don't let up, don't lose the energy. I am reminded of one more point of philosophy, I guess, that I know that when Chris was fighting, you know, that with each new visit with each new treatment with each new surgery that you know we hoped that that would be a turning point mm-hmm. and as he progressed in his disease we ultimately knew that that he wasn't going to survive this and so so your greatest fear when first diagnosed is uh, how will he endure it uh, the second fear is will he survive it and then when they pass uh, and this is a hard thing but but uh, not my words, but I heard it said, and I believe it's so true, that the greatest fear after you lose somebody is the end of remembering. And so Game on Glio, Brains for the Cure, Head for the Cure exists so that we won't forget, so that the, the, the legacy, the memory, the inspiration, the guidance from Mike and Chris and others is always there. And so everybody out there, keep remembering. Well, you just made me cry. <laughs> it's that is very, very true. Well, so are there any events coming up going into September that you would like people to know about, or where can they visit to find information about events coming up? Thank you so much, Shannon, for mentioning it. Yes, we're back doing live events and you know, I hope we can continue that and that we manage the new variant and mm-hmm. you know, everybody who can should get vaccined. I, 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 that's just a statement, <laughs> not, a, <laughs> not a political one. So you can see all those at headforthecure.org slash events. So you can find a, you might find an event in your city, or if you're interested in bringing a Head for the Cure event to, to your city to help, help drive fundraising and awareness of, of brain cancer in your city, we'd love to, to consider that. So, so best way is to check out headforthecure.org slash events. And then also go to brainsforthecure.org and you can cross the link uh, each of these online properties and look on social media and Facebook and Instagram and all the other 
platforms and we try to over communicate. <laughs> so headforthecure.org slash events or brainsforthecure.org. And there's a link. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, Matt, for your time today and for this awareness and information and the work that you're doing with the foundation. It's very inspiring to me and to a whole host of other people. Thank you. This has been a great conversation. I know it would be because, you know, we've, we've had a chance to talk before, <laughs> but I I love what you're doing. I love the, the human interest and, and I love that you're putting yourself out there to help others uh, in Mike's memory. And um, so it's an honor. It's an honor to do this together. Thank you so much. And we will be right back. It's been too many nights of being with to now be suddenly without. Those brief words were part of a poem by Jewel, the best-selling recording artist, in her book, A Night Without Armor. It's a book of poetry. Those words resonate specifically because that is what this is all about, isn't it? You're with somebody for so long, for so many years, and now suddenly you're without. And it speaks a lot to our episode today, this purpose of finding meaning, finding a reason to keep going in the absence of. Matt Anthony, our guest today, couldn't have said it any better, and he took the words from somebody else, but the greatest fear is the end of remembering. And isn't that what this is all about? You go through these stages of fear when you're dealing with a diagnosis as heavy as brain cancer. You go through these different stages of fear, getting the diagnosis, dealing with and coming through the diagnosis. And then once you're faced with the actuality of there's no recovering from this, it's the fear of the end of remembering. And for those of us that are left behind, that's what it's all about. Not forgetting our loved one, always remembering them. But the positive of this is that that's what drives some of us to do the work that we do. It's what drove Matt Anthony to start Head for the Cure Foundation and Brains for the Cure, to reach out to other networks and communities to help build a funnel for money to be put towards research and understanding of this disease. It's why doctors do the work they do in neurosurgery and clinical trials. It's why nurses work alongside of them. It's why I do this podcast, so that there is no end of remembering. Mike will always be remembered because he will always be a part of the work that I do and the outreach that I make. And this is part of our journey no matter where we are or what stage we're in. And for many of you, you may come through this. You may have a different form of brain cancer. There are so many clinical trials and so many advancements that have been made that there is a lot of hope for so many of you out there. And for those of us where our loved one is gone, it is about connectedness. It is about purpose. It is about letting go of the fear of the end of remembering and working towards never forgetting. It's important that we all have that. Grief is not handled well alone. We're social beings, and when we lose a loved one, we desire and need the help and assistance of others. We have to connect to other beings, to other humans, to other individuals who have experienced grief and loss or trauma or a diagnosis that was hard to handle. We have to connect. We have to reach out. We have to talk. That's what this podcast is all about. That is why I do what I do, to talk about my path, what I'm walking through, and to reach out to others to hear their stories, how they're connecting to others in the community, how they're making a difference or how they're remembering their loved one. Because by talking about the person that they lost, their person, there is no end of remembering. Their story 
will always live within this podcast. We're all leaning on each other and sharing our memories of the ones we loved. And that is a great gift. I am so proud and so honored to have had Matt Anthony on the show today. Head for the Cure Foundation, Brains for the Cure is an amazing organization. I'm proud to be partnered with them. Next month, we will have another amazing story from a current brain cancer survivor and thriver. She tells her story and the unique way that she found out about her brain cancer. It's an episode that you won't want to miss. As we sign off today, I'd like to leave you with a quote by Mother Teresa. There is light in the world, a healing spirit, more powerful than any darkness we may encounter. We sometimes lose sight of this force when there is so much suffering and too much pain. Then suddenly, the spirit will emerge through the lives of ordinary people who care and answer in extraordinary ways. Thank you all for tuning in. Until next month. Brains for the Cure is an innovative online resource to help brain tumor patients, survivors, and caregivers become advocates, educate themselves, and connect with others throughout each phase of their journey. We are proud to partner with the Game on Glio podcast. Visit brainsforthecure.org to learn more. Thank you so much for joining us this week on the Game on Glio podcast. Make sure to visit our website, thegameongleopodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show via Podbean, iTunes, Google, Apple, Spotify, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd love to hear what you think. Please post a review, give us a rating, or simply share with others so that they can listen to the show in the future. That'll help us too. If you like this show, you might want to check us out on Facebook at GameOnGleo or on Instagram at GameOnGleo Podcast. We look forward to seeing you again next month for another exciting episode of the Game on Glio podcast.